Hello, I'm Chiji. Hello, I'm Jonathan. Welcome to Reasoning with Chiji and John. Our goal is to explore the philosophical underpinnings of current events. A lot of people talk superficially about things that are going on today, but we really want to get to the to the root of the matter and see the philosophical questions that underpin our society today. And to add to Chiji's uh, excellent points, we want to provide an alternative to the polarized discourse that is happening right now. Uh, we want to put forward an evidence-based, uh, reason-based conversation about the important events and ideas that are shaping our own time. So this is a podcast about reasoning and thinking and thinking about thinking. And we hope you enjoy your journey with us. You're back again. <laughs> Let's just jump right into it. That's what uh, Philip DeFranco says. Anyway, so today we're talking about tolerance, the concept of tolerance and how it's perceived today and what I think it's majorly lacking in the discussion around tolerance. So for me, the concept of tolerance is interesting because tolerance presupposes that you dislike something. You don't tolerate something that you like. You know, if, if you say, I'm tolerating a person, hmm. it's because you don't like something about the person. Yet, the person annoys you, the person irritates you, yet you're choosing to live with the person despite being annoyed. Okay? So, tolerance presupposes dislike. However, in modern conversation, that's not how it seems to be. When we talk about tolerance in modern conversation, it's endorsement. Somehow you have to endorse something to be tolerant. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's a problem with that conversation because it's part of what makes the toxicity of a modern social environment. If we can all agree that it's okay to agree to disagree, it's okay to that people think differently. Yeah. And we despite the fact that they think differently, despite the fact that perhaps they have some reprehensible ideas, I'm going to live with them. Or they have some bold ideas that you never saw coming and they make you think in a completely different way. And a lot of people, uh, they say they're tolerant and they believe that they're tolerant, but they don't know how to react to that. Right, right. Uh, an idea that they uh, never even thought of before and they don't know how to uh, respond to it. And sometimes what happens is they respond very negatively to it. Right. But it's important to make the distinction. I'm not yeah. just talking about bold ideas. I'm talking yeah. about reprehensible ideas. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay that you can find a person and the ideas reprehensible and still tolerate them. Yeah. I think it's a, a very powerful concept. And that's at the core of uh, freedom of speech. Right, right. So um, we all heard about the case of uh, the People versus Larry Flint, where um, this para pastor named Jerry Falwell took exception to the fact that uh, Jerry Flint had in his magazine a story about how Jerry Falwell had uh, sex with his mother in an outhouse. And uh, he, w he said that this uh, harmed his reputation, it hurt his feelings. And that uh, Larry Flint should pay him a lot of money and take the story down. And in the end, Larry Flint won that court case 
in the Supreme Court because they concluded that the freedom of speech was so important that that freedom should also um, apply to some of the most reprehensible ideas. Right. And it should apply to satire. Of course, there are exceptions, of course. So if those ideas actually did damage Jerry Falwell's reputation, if he couldn't make a livelihood because uh, huge numbers of people actually believed he had sex in the outhouse with his mother, then, uh, yeah, he would be entitled to certain damages. But there was no evidence that that was the case. Right. And so uh, Larry Flint's uh, magazine, reprehensible though it was, was treated as satire, and he was able to win his court case. Right. So I think that is a good launching pad into this, what the limits of tolerance are. Yeah. Are there any limits to tolerance? Because especially for speech, yeah. but I'm not talking merely of speech, but especially for speech, are there limits yeah. to the tolerance for speech? And I think we already identified some. You talked yeah. about, you know, slander, yeah. libel, you know, incitement to violence. Or, yeah. You know, but even then, you know, there's a, a thin thread to be, t- to be treaded, you know, because there's a difference between satire and reporting something as if it were true. Yeah. Right, right. But the the stories that come to my mind, you know, that dominate my mind right now when I was thinking about this topic is recently at UOttawa, you know, the Church of Scientology was at the University of Ottawa in the UCU and they were given a presentation about psychology. Hmm. Psychology as the industry of death. You know, and how, no, I think it was psychiatry they said, it was the industry of death and how psychiatrists were, have a, a, a long history of, you know, Terrible, horrible things that psychiatrists have done in the past. You know, you can talk of lobotomy. You can talk of, you know, uh, tests with people, actual human beings. And terrible things that psychiatrists have done in the past, which is true. (laughs) But they came, you know, to what educate, in quotes, and tell people that they should throw away their meds. They should stop taking the meds. You know, you're you're being like a rodent. You're being tested. You know, there's an alternative, and they are the alternative. And many students took issue with this and there were lots of protests and the demands that I could see was that the Church of Scientology was a cult Hmm. which is true and therefore they should not be allowed on campus that the presence of the Church of Scientology on campus is offensive to the students like it it actively harms their mental health and that the university should not give the Church of Scientology a platform they should not be allowed on campus yeah, and that sort of implies that students can't think for themselves. So uh, we have to recognize, I think, in this case, that the science, Church of Science, uh, Scientology isn't really harming the students here. What's happening is that some gullible students are taking uh, what the church is saying as gospel and saying, you know what, I'm going to throw out my meds, I'm going to do away, uh, I'm not going to go to a psychiatrist, I'm not going to seek any kind of help anymore. And then they harm themselves as a result. And I think uh, in this kind of society, and this um, talks about the, uh, what are the implications of free speech, is that in a free society, we need to assume more responsibility. We need to recognize that when we hear an idea, we can't just listen to that idea uh, alone and ignore all the, the other ideas that are out there. Instead, we should uh, see an idea a bit like a product in a uh, shopping mall. We compare that product with other products, compare that idea with other ideas, and then see whether that idea that's been put out there by the, uh, the Church of Scientology mm. stands up to scrutiny. So what was most interesting to me was this, and this is what got me thinking about 
you know, about tolerance yeah. is that, firstly, this, you know, I'm talking about a truly reprehensible thing. And I, I admit that many of the students would find the Church of Scientology to be a truly reprehensible organization. Yeah. And yet, in that interaction, and many of the students themselves, if you ask them, they would say, oh, I'm a very tolerant person. I'm a very tolerant person. Oh, I support this. I support this. This is tolerance. Mm. Yet in that interaction between the Church of Scientology, which they believe to be reprehensible, and the students who identified as tolerant, when I look at that interaction, it didn't seem that the tolerant people were the students. Mm. It seemed in that interaction that it was the church of the people who were attending the Church of Scientology event that were being tolerant. Yeah. And I, I, it began to make me think about the concept of tolerance because mm. oftentimes the people who make the allegation that others are intolerant are being intolerant in, the, in themselves. Yeah. Right. And to defend this, they often invoke what they call uh, the paradox of tolerance. It's something by Karl Popper, I think. You know, and the idea is that a society can't be too tolerant. A society can't be too tolerant because when you allow your society to be very tolerant of intolerant people, intolerant people would be able to seize control of that society. And then the society becomes intolerant. Therefore, you cannot have you know, this broad-ranging tolerance. So yeah. it's okay to be intolerant to intolerant people. And when I think about that concept, that idea, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Hmm. That intolerant people allowed to flourish in a tolerant society might eventually overturn that tolerant society and make it intolerant. Hmm. But what I think about is the paradox of that paradox is that intolerant people, you know, tolerance can be a weapon in the hands of intolerant people. True. But I think that this this concept, this idea that you shouldn't be you shouldn't be tolerant to tolerant to intolerant people, is a more powerful weapon in the hands of intolerant people. In other words, a person can be very intolerant, mm. define other people as intolerant, mm. and justify any action against that person mm. on the basis of the fact that he shouldn't be tolerant to intolerant people. <laughs> right. So it is a very more uh, a much more potent weapon in the hands of the intolerant than this paradox of tolerance ever could be. And I think uh, who is described as intolerant and who is described as seen as intolerant depends on a popularity contest. Really. Right, right. Because in that interaction, yeah. who was being the tolerant person? Is it the person who is yelling and screaming and demanding that a person would not be given space to speak on campus? Is that person the tolerant person? Who is making this judgment? Hmm. You know, and I find that very interesting. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I think uh, in that situation, uh, so there's a number of things that come to mind when I uh, hear a story like that. I think uh, one. Uh, I think it also speaks to an issue that we raised earlier, which is this idea of victimhood. That it's uh, being given definitions that is it's definitely uh, being defined so broadly that the students feel, um, or many students feel, that they're justified in excluding uh, the Church of Scientology from their campus on the assumption that uh, somehow they're victims, that uh, students will be victimized by that church. So that's the first thing that's happening. Um, mm. So my answer to that question, you know, is are there any limits to tolerance? Would obviously be yes. 
Yeah. There are limits to tolerance. And I think we identified them. You know, incitement to violence. You shouldn't allow a person to incite to violence on your platform. You shouldn't, you know, allow a person to slander, to use libel. And I think that these things can be addressed in, yeah. in the judiciary system. You yeah. don't have to prevent, you know, you know, pre- preventatively stop speech. You know, yeah. say, if he comes, he's going to incite to violence. Therefore, I'm going to stop him before he yeah. says it. He should be free to speak. If he, if he incites to violence, then he should be arrested. He should be taken yeah. to court and the like. But, yeah. you know, I think that a good policy is to be skeptical about your own ability to define what the limits of tolerance are. Yes, there are limits to tolerance, but be skeptical about your ability to define those limits. You know, the power to label, I think, is a really interesting power. And I think it's a discussion we can have later about the way states label. You know, the the state decides this person is a terrorist. And when you label the person as a terrorist, you have justification to take certain actions against that person that you wouldn't have had if that person were not labeled a terrorist. And, you know, sometimes that labeling is really arbitrary because certain groups are more violent than others, yet you describe this group as a a terrorist organization and that gives you broad powers to do. So labeling is a very interesting power. But as an individual, you ought to be skeptical about your ability to define what yeah. the limits of tolerance are. And it's ironic that this was happening in a university campus mm-hmm. because you would think if a university is a place of learning, mm-hmm. it's a place of debate, critical thinking, and yet the implication that underpins the student protest against the Church of Scientology is that uh, these uh, that many students are like babes in the woods. <laughs> they can't think for themselves. It will be like the Church of Scientology giving its presentation to people in a daycare center. More importantly, it seems like I am the smart person. Everybody else is dumb. If anybody else hears this, they they, they can't think for themselves. Therefore, let me impose this this pure this good for them. Let me decide what's good for them to hear. You know, I think yeah. that's interesting. But the yeah. argument I find that a lot of them use is this. It would be like along the lines of, well, they are free to speak but they're not free to speak on this platform. You know, we don't have to give them a place to speak on this platform. They can speak in their churches, they can speak wherever they want, sure. but not on this platform. And when they mean this platform, they really mean anywhere, because anywhere they are, they're going to be there protesting and telling them they should not be free to speak. But interestingly, though, I think yeah. that the university is unique, yeah. a very unique place in this sense, because the university is a truly public space. Yeah a truly public space. You know, a lot of is said about public spaces and public services, you know, mm. a lot of progressive think of businesses as public services yeah. and therefore should be open to everybody and not have the right to discriminate and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I actually have a problem with that, that label of a public service. However, the university is a truly public space yeah. because it's funded by public money. It's open in the specific interest of the public. Mm. So if a place is funded by the public, if a place is you know, open for the public. Hmm. That there can be no other public space. Yeah. That there, there can be no other platform that ought to be accessible to all citizens. And to build on that point, um, let's just say that um, the students are right that they can say, okay, well, uh, we have freedom of speech, but uh, you can only uh, exercise that freedom at certain platforms. Well. What kind of university do they want? Do they want a university that is known for its innovative ideas that challenge people and make them think in different ways? If that's the case, then uh, say, uh, taking the position that certain ideas cannot have a platform on your campus, 
will have a chilling effect on other people who will say, you know what, I have this great idea, but I don't know if I'm allowed to share that great idea in a university setting because it might be seen as uh, evil. It might be seen as uh, too controversial. So I, I, think I might face a student protest. <laughs> I think that the underlying problem here, though, is arrogance. If you ask yourself, what, are the, what is the probability <laughs> that all the ideas you hold are true? What is the probability that you, in this year, 2020, there have been billions of ideas, perhaps, yeah. you know, thousands of ideas, millions of ideas floating around in the space, and you have only a few of them what is the probability that you're right on every single one of them? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost impossible that you're right. Yeah. This, this is what, you know, demonstrates why it is important to hear other people out. Yeah. You know, because if you understand that it is most likely that many of your ideas are probably wrong. Many of my ideas are probably wrong. The problem is I, I actually don't know which ones are wrong because if I knew I was able to identify which of my ideas were wrong, I'll change them. But I know yeah. that it's more likely that many of my ideas are wrong. Yeah. That's why I have to be open, and open to hearing people out even yeah. when they are reprehensible. Yeah, and I think there are two points for that which is that uh, for me anyway, uh, when I think about my ideas, I sort of feel, think of them as like rough drafts. Like oh. rough, pay, uh, and eventually uh, I get into a conversation or I read more, and then I sort of improve upon that idea right, as I go right. along by sounding them against contrary ideas. You yeah. know, even if a person were wrong, the ability to identify where exactly they were yeah. wrong—it's—it's it's a way of refining your own perception of what's right. And the second point is what we're really talking about here is diversity. Mm. That true diversity, mm. not the uh, superficial diversity that people talk about, the diversity that shows up in uh, key performance indicators of company reports to say, yeah, we're such a diverse organization. Half of the employees or 60% of the employees are women. <laughs> X percentage are Muslims. We have a huge percentage that are Buddhist. We have a huge percentage that are Hindu. I mean, okay, if uh, people's uh, Hindu beliefs lead to uh, an improvement in the organization's performance. Okay, that's diversity. Mm -hmm. But if Hinduism is a belief system that people uh, practice in their private lives and they, uh, they collaborate with their coworkers like anybody else would collaborate with their coworkers, then that's not true diversity. True diversity is about ideas, different ideas, and people uh, seeing how ideas can be compared and contra contrasted, and also being able to uh, encounter different points of view, and then uh, seeing, what well, can I learn something from that point of view in order to improve my own ideas? Right. Or should I even change my ideas completely? But That's diversity the, the counter to this, The counter to this often is your privilege. That's the counter. You know, saying, just saying this, you're privileged. You're able to say this simply because you're not affected by the thing or by the words that other person is saying. So perhaps, let's say you were white and a person on the stage was talking, saying things that were racist. Hmm. And other people are demanding that that person didn't have the right to speak. If you were to say, well, he freedom of speech, you know, a diversity of ideas, stuff like that. Well, you're privileged because you're not really affected by the words that person is saying. And to be honest, there, there is an argument to be made there about privilege. And 
it's true that a lot of us are privileged. But, you know, I, I think that's really interesting that you judge a person as privileged just by looking at them or just by the argument you're making. But how can a person fully respond to that concept, you know, that you're privileged? You know, it's, it's not really an attack on the, on the argument I'm making. It's almost an ad hominem. It's an ad hominem in a yeah. sense. But it's an interesting ad hominem because you're not saying something evil about me. You're sort of, you know, undermining what I'm saying by simply recognizing that I'm privileged. Sort of like a backhanded compliment <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's often the the response. You're privileged. I'm not privileged. Oh, I don't know. I don't think I'm privileged. And by any objective metric, I, I wouldn't consider myself privileged. Or at least I wouldn't consider my history privileged. Perhaps I've, I've attained a level of privilege right now. But mm. I don't come from a privileged background by any objective metric. So already you judge me as privileged just because I, 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 I am advancing an argument that you disagree with. But interestingly, even if this argument was advanced by someone who is truly privileged, mm. that does not detract from the truth of what it says. And also, I mean, it depends on how you define privilege too. Um, because if we're going to go back to that uh, interesting controversy with the Church of Scientology, uh, I don't think in that controversy, if we're just looking at that alone, the church was a, the privileged. a privileged. <laughs> the people who were privileged <laughs> were the ones who were part of that student protest. Yeah, the people who had, had the ability to deplatform a person. Yeah, yeah, deplatform a person. Yeah, force the them out. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, because... Uh, because if privilege is to have any meaning, you have to be able to see its effect. It has to have a certain power to it. It has to have, and when that power is leveraged, it has to produce certain consequences. Right, right, right. So I think uh, that would be privileged in the context of uh, yeah. that controversy. But with again, Scientology. privilege is defined superficially. You know, yeah. like how you talked about in the workplace, privilege about uh, diversity simply being superficial. The number of X group we have here. Yeah. So privilege is also defined superficially. Well you're white, you're privileged. You know, it's whatever I see on the outside of you, that determines the level of privilege. You know, that's what you are. You know, and I think that's interesting. But beyond that, I think that the, I, I honestly think that the concept of tolerance is a, a powerful idea when understood properly. Because I, I, I explained how tolerance is something about, you know, you disagree fundamentally with something. Yeah. That's only when you tolerate it. Because if you liked it, you're not tolerating it. You yeah. like it. You know, if you don't mind it, if it's, it doesn't mm. bother you in any way, you're yeah. not being tolerant. You know, it doesn't bother you. Yeah. Right. So, I, and I think that tolerance in this sense is a virtue. Because yeah. virtue is something that costs. You know, if it doesn't cost you anything, it's not virtue. And in a sense, when you tolerate things that are repulsive to you, hmm. that there's a certain level of virtue in that. I think, but I think going back to the workplace, um, this idea that uh, me pointing out that um, that uh, X percentage are women, X percentage are people of color, X percentage of uh, people from religions uh, in a particular workplace is a sign of privilege. I think that's a way to sort of deflect from the main issue, which is really um, in order to uh, get rid of the uh, scourge of privilege, if you will, the way to do that is by respecting individuality and different ideas. 
and respecting each and every person's individual ideas and recognizing that they have a right to express their unique perspectives on things. And to construct a work environment that encourages that, that, uh, that eschews hierarchy and encourages more lateral uh, uh, corporate structures where uh, managers sort of become the partners to the employees and they try to get the employees to open up and share their ideas with them. Mm. And, then, and then those ideas, uh, and then the manager might not agree with every single one of those ideas, but you know what? If 20% of the employees' ideas uh, are really good, then that's 20% more that the manager knows that, they didn't, that, they, that he or she did not know before. So this and then they could, and then they could improve the policy. You know, practical tolerance rather yeah. than you know superficial statistical tolerance. But I'm really concerned. Yeah. I'm I'm really interested in the in what it means, what tolerance really means. So we've talked about how uh, tolerance is being open or at least being able to coexist with people with reprehensible ideas. But what does it mean to be tolerant as a person? You know, when I'm talking to another human being. How can I be tolerant? And I think that oftentimes a lot of us see what appears to be a conflict between uh, tolerance and truth-telling. And not necessarily truth-telling, but uh, being blunt hmm. in that sense. And this where the whole of idea of political correctness comes in, where a person is not allowed to say what they truly believe simply because it hurts, it's hurtful hmm. to another person. So how can a person be tolerant while still saying what they believe? And I think that's a question that, you know, bugs me. Hmm. And I think that, you know, again, it's, it's, it reveals a penchant, a penchant for false dichotomies, hmm. you know, where you either tell the truth or you're political, politically correct. Yeah. You know, I think it's possible to speak the truth lovingly, to exist in a loving relationship yeah. such that you can tell a person things that hurt, but within that context, mm. the person does not doubt that you love them. And I think uh, a distinction needs to be made um, because a lot of people would say, well, the politically incorrect label is really being used by racists in order to say horrible things and to justify saying and horrible things. And that's true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But I think there's a difference between um, being politically correct, incorrect, and saying something that is bigoted. And I think the difference is this, which is that when you're saying something politically incorrect, yes, it hurts people's feelings, but is there something that other people can learn from that statement? Is there a, is there a new interpretation that people can learn from that statement? Whereas when I hear a lot of bigoted statements, I'm thinking to myself, they're not really politically incorrect because they're not challenging any existing thinking. Uh, uh, thinking is very much in conformity with uh, white supremacist thinking. Right. So, and you don't learn anything from it. So there was this one case where this uh, congresswoman was challenging um, Congresswoman uh, Omar for a seat. And, she's, uh, and she basically put out a tweet saying, well, if Congresswoman Omar is guilty of X, then she should be hanged. Now you think about and uh, and I guess uh, when uh, she got backlash for uh, some backlash for it, she says, "Well, just being politically incorrect." Well, you weren't because looking at that statement, what do people learn? Right, right. Uh, we don't know if uh, one, if Omar is guilty of that particular X, and two, 
saying Omar is uh, should be hanged isn't going to add to anybody's knowledge. So I wouldn't I wouldn't put that stark distinction between bigotry and political correctness. I would think that bigotry is a subset of politically incorrectness. Yet, but I would still recognize that not all not all political incorrectness is bigotry necessarily. Okay. So. I, I think that it's possible. And and I think that that highlights how we ought to speak. Because we shouldn't hold back from saying the things that we believe to be yeah. true. We shouldn't... We should, But when we speak, we should be speaking in order that other people learn, yeah. right? We should be speaking, you know, in order to advance a conversation, in yeah. order to achieve some explicit good in the world. So mm. we're not just speaking. And I think that's, that's where yeah. the distinction comes in. But certain people claim to be politically incorrect and they're saying things mm. just to get a reaction out of someone. Yeah. They're saying things just to hurt somebody. Yeah. It, there's no there's no goal, there's no greater yeah. goal than to hurt you. So they yeah. say certain things and they should be free to say certain things, but we can recognize that, you know, these things are just, you're, you're being a provocateur. They call yeah. themselves provocateurs just to hurt people. So I think uh, I think the key to being a, a tolerant person is that when you hear a point of view that is completely new, that challenges your way of thinking, or uh, even one that you find reprehensible, ask a few questions. Ask, well, how did that person arrive at these conclusions? Mm. And then listen to what they have to say. Mm. And, of course, you can challenge it if you want. Uh, and then at the end of the discussion, uh, you can uh, make up your mind and say, okay, uh, that person raised some good points here, but those other points weren't so good, or that person's completely right, or that person's completely wrong. So I think that the best thing is just to speak in the in the least hurtful place, in the least hurtful, hurtful way possible while conveying what you believe to be true. So you can say the same thing mm. in a very hurtful ways. You can say that same thing in a more tolerable way in a more tolerant fashion while still saying the same thing so you're not holding back from saying the truth you're just rephrasing yourself thinking more carefully about what you're saying and trying to and of course it's impossible that there there won't be times where you you won't hurt people hmm. understand but you know you try your best not to and i think that's the key yeah, yeah, maybe that's good me. enough that people try their best not to hurt other people. Yeah. And uh, also to, uh, even if they might end up hurting people a little bit. But I think also uh, an important thing is that the people who are listening to that person, they should ask themselves, okay, this hurts my feelings, but did I learn anything new from mm. uh, when I well, uh, encountered this new opinion, which mm. really clashes with uh, my own ideas? Right. And I, I'm... I'm very, I painstakingly want to explain that it's not just a, a new bold opinion. Sometimes it's hurtful opinions. Yeah. Sometimes it's outrightly bigoted opinions. You know, how can we engage with these things? And finally, I think the the point I want to make, and I feel strongly about this, is about love and tolerance. And we've explained how tolerance is, you know, it's disliking something while still living making the conscious choice to move forward dealing with it rather than you know excluding it entirely but i think that and this is a point i think we made some time ago that it is possible to 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 think about the person and separate them from the idea and it's possible to love a person you know and it's when you are in that loving relationship that tolerance or that that the ideal comes forth where you can speak the truth and 
It might be hurtful to the person's feelings, yet the person is not turned away simply because the person understands that you're speaking it because you think that's what's best for them. Yeah. I think that's the ideal. So we, we love human beings and we argue about ideas. We find ideas reprehensible, never human beings. That's where I'll, I'll land on that topic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I definitely agree with that. Um, right. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs>